Welcome to The Girls, a podcast based on the novel Sadie by Courtney Summers. In our last episode, I introduced you to the two girls at the center of this podcast, Maddie Southern and Sadie Hunter. Maddie was murdered, her body left just outside her hometown of Cold Creek, Colorado. Sadie is missing, her car found, abandoned, hundreds of miles away, with all her personal belongings still inside it. The girl's surrogate grandmother, Maybeth Foster, has enlisted my help in finding Sadie and bringing her home. For those of you just tuning in, this is a serialized podcast, so if you haven't listened to our first episode, you should do that now. We have more story than time to tell it, but I suppose that's true for all of us. It broke Sadie, Maddie's murder. She was never the same after, and rightfully so, but that the police never found the monster who did it well. That had to have been the final straw. Is that what Sadie said? No, but she didn't have to. You could tell just by looking at her. There's been no justice for Maddie Southern. It's impossible for residents of Cold Creek to accept that a crime so heinously and chaotically executed would go unsolved. Television has provided their point of reference. After all, on shows like CSI, they'd catch the murderer within the hour, often working with less than what was discovered in that apple orchard. Detective George Alfonso of the Abernathy Police Department, who headed the investigation, looks like a movie star past his prime. He's a six-foot-tall black man in his early 60s with short, graying hair. He expresses dismay over the lack of leads, but given the circumstances, he's not necessarily surprised there are so few. We didn't realize we were dealing with a murder initially. We got a call about the fire, and unfortunately, much of the crime scene was compromised by the fire department's efforts to put it out. The DNA evidence they've recovered has been inconclusive and in need of a match. So far, there's no real suspect pool to pull from. We filled in the gap between Maddie's disappearance and death as best we can. As soon as we got the call she was missing, we put out an Amber Alert. We searched the local area and looked into several POIs, people Maddie had been in contact with in the hours before she vanished. They were cleared. We have a single witness who says they saw Maddie get into a pickup truck the night she went missing. It was the last time anyone ever saw her alive. That witness was Nora Stackett, who owns Stackett Groceries, the only grocery store in Cold Creek. Nora is 58, a white, red-headed mother of three grown children, all of whom she's employed at her store. I was closing for the night when I saw her. I'd just turned the lights off, and there was Maddie Southern at the corner, getting into some pickup. It was dark enough I couldn't tell if it were blue or black, but I think black. I didn't get a look at the plate or driver either, but I've never seen that truck before, and I haven't seen it since. Bet I'd know it if I saw it again, though. Next day, I hear there's cops all over Sparkling River, and I'll just say, I figured she was dead. I just knew. That's weird, isn't it? That I just knew? <laughs> Giving myself the creeps. The girls lived in Sparkling River Estates. It's a small park, no more than ten trailers to it, some better kept than others. Cute little lawn ornaments and flower beds adorn one, while a rotting couch surrounded by garbage accents another. 
There's no sparkling river nearby, but if you follow the highway out of town, you might come across one. As I mentioned earlier, it's managed by Maybeth Foster, the girl's surrogate grandmother. She shows me the girl's trailer, a double wide exactly as Sadie left it. Maybeth has found herself in a suspended state of grief where she can't bring herself to clean it out, even though she also can't afford not to rent it. I don't know what I'm expecting when I step inside, but the place is spare and clean. For the last four years of their lives, Sadie raised Maddie here on her own, but still. She was a teenager, and when I think of teenagers, I think of some sort of natural disaster, a tornado moving from room to room, leaving carnage in its wake. It was nothing like that in the place they called home. There are still cups in the kitchen sink and on the coffee table in front of the old television in the living room, a calendar on the fridge that hasn't been flipped since June when Sadie disappeared. Things get downright eerie in their bedrooms. Maddie's room looks like it's waiting for her to come back. There are clothes on the floor. The bed is unmade. There's an empty glass with water stains coating its inside on the nightstand. Sadie wouldn't let anyone touch it. It's a direct contrast to Sadie's room, which looks like it knows she's never coming back. In her room, the bed has been neatly made, but aside from that, every available surface is bare. It appears to have been stripped clean. There's nothing here. I found all her things in the dumpster back of the lot the day I realized she was gone. What kinds of things? She got rid of her books, movies, clothes, just everything. It makes me sick to think about her throwing her life in the garbage like that because that's what it amounts to. Every little bit that made her, everything, was all in the trash. And when I found it, I just started to cry because she'd... It wasn't worth anything to her anymore. Did you see this coming at all? Did she give you any kind of indication she was planning on leaving? That week before she left, Sadie got really quiet, like she was thinking about doing something stupid, and I told her whatever she was thinking, don't. I said to her, don't you do it. But by that point, I couldn't reach her about much of anything. Still, I never imagined this. I have to tell you, it's killing me to be in here. I just... I'd really like not to be. We continue talking in her trailer, a cozy double wide at the front of the lot. She has me sit on her plastic-covered couch, which squeaks very loudly every time I move. When I tell her that's not so great for an interview, we end up in her small kitchen at the kitchen table, where she serves me a glass of iced tea and shows me the photo album she's kept of the girls over the years. You did this? I did. Seems like something a mother would do. Yeah, well, a mother should. Claire Southern, Maddie and Sadie's mother, is not a welcome topic of conversation, but she's an unavoidable one because without Claire, there would be no girls. Less said about her, the better. I'd still really like to hear it, Maybeth. It could help. At the very least, it'll give me a better understanding of Sadie and Maddie. Well... Claire was trouble, and there was no reason for it. Some kids are just born bad. She started drinking when she was 12. At 15, she was into pot, cocaine. By 18, heroin. She'd been arrested for petty theft a few times, misdemeanors. Just a mess. 
I was best friends with her mama, Irene, since Irene started renting from me. That's how I come into their lives. You never knew a soul as gentle as Irene. She could have had a firmer hand with Claire, but there's no use dwelling on that now. Irene died of breast cancer when Claire was 19. Before Irene died, Claire got pregnant. Irene was trying so hard to hold on for her grandchild, but it wasn't... It wasn't meant to be. Three months after we put Irene in the ground, Sadie was born. I'd promised Irene on her deathbed I'd look out for that little girl, and that's what I did. That's what I've always done, because, well... You have any kids of your own? Yeah, I do. A daughter. Then you know. The first half of the photos in Maybeth's album are only of Sadie. She was a small, happy baby with brown hair, gray eyes, and healthy pink skin. She didn't look anything like her mother. Sadie was the spitting image of Irene, and Claire couldn't stand it. And if you saw Claire with Sadie, you'd wonder why she'd even have a baby in the first place. She hated holding her, nursing her, soothing her. I'm not being dramatic. She hated it. I loved on Sadie best I could, but it was never enough to make up for what she wasn't getting from her mother. Who was Sadie's father? I don't know. I don't think even Claire knew. She said his last name was Hunter, so that's what she put on the birth certificate. According to Maybeth, Sadie had a lonely childhood those first six years without Maddie. Claire's addiction superseded all affection and left her daughter attention-starved. Sadie was also painfully shy due to the stutter she developed when she was two. There was no clear cause. It might have been genetics, hereditary. No other members in Sadie's known family stuttered, but her paternal side is unaccounted for. Maybeth unearthed a recording she made when Sadie was three. We had to hunt down a cassette player to listen to it. You want to talk into the recorder, honey? No? I can play it back for you, and you can hear what you sound like. That's magic. Yeah, baby, it's magic. Okay, talk into right here. Just say hi. But I... I want to... I... We just have to record it first. But I want... Sadie never outgrew her stutter. Early intervention likely could have helped, but Maybeth never managed to convince Claire to take action. School turned out to be a special sort of hell for Sadie. Children aren't kind about things they don't understand, and in Maybeth's opinion, Sadie's teachers also lacked a certain understanding. Sadie turned out good in spite of them, not because of them. They thought that stutter meant she was stupid. That's all I'll say about that. 44-year-old Edward Colburn has never forgotten Sadie. He just started his career as a teacher at Parkdale Elementary when she came into his class. Parkdale, as I mentioned, is 40 minutes away from Cold Creek and buses in students from outside towns so they can go to school. This is how Edward remembers his former first-grade student. She was teased by her classmates because of the stutter, and that caused her to withdraw. We did our best to meet her needs, but you have to understand, Parkdale has always been two things, underfunded and overcrowded. Add to that a mother who was largely unreceptive to any of our concerns, and well, 
it's not a recipe for a child's personal success. And it happens more often than you'd want to think, not only in economically depressed areas. Sadie was a very adrift, remote child. She didn't seem to have many, if any, interests of her own. She was reserved, but it was more than that. I'd almost say she was vacant. Then Maddie came along. In Maybeth's album, Maddie's arrival is marked with a Polaroid of a tiny, day-old bundle in six-year-old Sadie's arms. The way Sadie gazes at her newborn sister is almost impossible to describe. It's unbearably tender. Just look at the way she's looking at Maddie. Wow. Isn't it something? Sadie loved Maddie with her whole heart, and that love for Maddie gave her a purpose. Sadie made it her life's work looking after her sister. Young as she was, she knew Claire wouldn't do it right. Can you describe the girl's relationship with their mother? Claire enjoyed Maddie because they looked alike. She was Claire's little doll, not her child. She gave Maddie the Southern name, and Maddie thought Claire was the berries. But that was Sadie's doing. How do you mean? Sadie always covered for Claire, lied for her even, made sure Maddie understood Claire was sick. I think she thought if she did that, it'd hurt less for Maddie when Claire inevitably let her down. I don't know if that was the best thing for either of them. It cost Sadie a lot, especially after Claire left. I don't know if Maddie ever fully appreciated what Sadie did for her in that respect. If she'd lived long enough, maybe. The pictures of Maddie are difficult to look at. She had shiny, stick-straight blonde hair, sparkling blue eyes, and Claire's heart-shaped face. It's nearly impossible to reconcile with that kind of vitality knowing how her story ends. I can't help but notice Maddie doesn't look at Sadie with quite the same reverence. Maddie loved her big sister. Maddie adored Sadie. But Sadie might as well have been Maddie's mother, and that's a certain kind of dynamic. Throw in a six-year age gap, that's going to add to it, too. Looking after Maddie brought Sadie out of her shell and forced her to use her voice, no matter the stutter. But the time Sadie didn't feel like talking or couldn't get it out, Maddie would know what Sadie needed just by looking at her. So make no mistake, they were devoted to each other in their own ways. I don't know if all sisters are how the pair of them were. I have three of my own, and I love them dearly. But we were never like that. With each turn of the album's pages, Maybeth's voice becomes less and less steady. As we reach the end of it, her eyes fill with tears. Oh. What is it? She turns the album to me. On one side is a photo of the girls. They're sprawled on Maybeth's plastic-covered couch, a red and orange knitted blanket shared between them. An oversized bowl of popcorn rests on Maddie's lap. They're absolutely entranced by whatever is on the TV in front of them. Later, Maybeth tells me it was probably an old movie. The girls loved the classics. Sadie, in particular, was fond of anything with Betty Davis. But what's caught Maybeth's attention at this particular moment is the page opposite. It's empty. There was a picture there. She insists, flipping frantically through the book to see if it somehow got loose and ended up somewhere where it shouldn't be. She checks the floor around us in case it fell out. It's nowhere to be found. But where did it... I don't know where it could have got to. It was a picture of... The girls were in it. It, it was... It was... 
I can't remember what exactly it was, but I know it had the girls in it. They were here. They were right here. This has been an episode of The Girls, a podcast based on the novel Sadie by Courtney Summers. This program was produced and directed by Maddie Argeropoulos. Sound design and post-production by Tim Franklin. Performed by Dan Bittner, Gabra Zachman, Matt DeMaza, Barry Krynick, Rebecca Solaire, and Irving Godori. Special thanks to Ari Fliakos and Tom Meese. Sadie is available as a book ebook and audiobook. Click the link in the show notes to get your copy. And stay tuned for next week's episode of The Girls.